Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 15. That's where we are today, Acts chapter 15. We're in a series of messages entitled Turning Points. These are pivotal moments in the history of the church as recorded in the book of Acts, first century pivotal moments. Now, our key concept today is this, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this pivotal moment has to do with a moment in time where that simple truth had to be defended. By grace you are saved through faith. We're going to look at in Acts chapter 15 a moment of conflict as well as counsel and learn ourselves how the Bible models us how we are to move through times of disappointment, disagreement, and conflict. Because conflict happens. I'm reminded of uh, a story written in one of uh, Robert Neff's books. He tells about a time when he had a significant church experience. He was visiting a congregation, and during the worship service, uh, a man got up to sing a solo. Nothing unusual about that, except that when this soloist began to sing, he started off-key. He was on the wrong note. And in his nervousness and his embarrassment, he pressed on, and he couldn't find the right note. And the song, quite frankly, was getting worse and worse. And to make it even worse, it was a commonly known song. It was a hymn that was in the hymn book. And Robert Neff said he saw something happen spontaneously in that church that touched his heart. He saw people start to get out the hymn books, and they found the song that the the soloist was singing, and they began to join in, and they were gently with their voices nudging him to the correct note to be singing on key. They did that in in the second stanza. By the third stanza, it was a wonderful congregational song being sung. And then at the fourth stanza, as if it was planned, they began to spontaneously just drop out so that soloist could end with a victory on the right note. It is a fantastic example of the body of Christ working together to provide correction and guidance in a moment that could have been filled with nothing but frustration and anger and embarrassment. That congregation gets it. They understand that we are here to help each other. Wouldn't it be great if every time a mistake was made, if every time there was an error in judgment, If every time a dispute arose in in church or in family, we would handle things that way, just gently nudge one another to the correct position. But oftentimes that's not how it works. Have you ever been in a church fight? Have you ever been in a congregation where the battle lines are drawn and the opinions are firmly set? It is not a pretty sight. And sometimes those kinds of disputes are over the silliest of things. But today we're going to see an example of a conflict that was over an important matter, a time of disagreement within the the body of Christ and how the early church handled it. Now let me catch you up to the uh, action so far in the book of Acts. What's just happened before this passage? Well, Saul and Barnabas have just returned from their first missionary journey. In that first missionary journey, they visited seven cities, mostly in Gentile areas. They have preached the gospel to both Gentile and Jew alike, and they have seen both positive and negative results. It was about a two-year trip. 
It was filled with high points as well as low points. They saw the power of God at work and the message gladly received, but there also were moments where they struggled. Paul became very ill in the early sections of this trip. They had to flee for their lives from Iconium as well as Lystra. And during this trip, Paul changes his, the use of his name from Saul, his Hebrew name, to Paul, his Gentile name, and he emerges as the clear leader of the group. But there were some disappointments. John Mark, Barnabas's cousin, abandoned the mission early on as soon as they were heading into Gentile territory. And that was something that stung the heart of the Apostle Paul. Later in life, however, Mark and Paul were reconciled. And Mark goes on to have a great association with Peter. And from Peter, as he relayed the details of spending time with Jesus, that information enabled Mark to write the gospel that you have in your Bible today, the gospel of Mark. Well, after this first missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul returned to their sending church like missionaries do. They gave a report on all that happened, and they, and they stayed there for a while. Look up at chapter 14, verse 28. It says, And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The year is A.D. 49. And while they are there in that home church, that sending church of Antioch and Syria, some men come down from Judea, probably from Jerusalem, although it's not specific uh, as it says that, and they come to the Antioch church and they begin to take it on themselves to teach that the Antioch church is in error in a very fundamental and important way. Look with me in the beginning of chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and they were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, why would they say that? Why would they teach that? Are they just mean people? Are they somehow nasty, wanting to, you know, kind of make some correction or exert their opinion into the situation? I don't think that's it at all. I think that there's some hints into the thought process behind these individuals. Well, if you were to go back and read Peter's speech in Acts chapter 2 and Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, I think you're going to get a hint for the driving force behind these men's opinion. And that is that the Hebrew Christian saw that the Gentile Christian was coming into what has already a flow, if you will, that has already been established in the Old Testament. It's not as if these guys thought that the Gentile Christians are getting away with something by, by not being circumcised, but rather they rightly understand that the Christian faith comes from and is a continuation of and fulfillment of the ancient Hebrew faith. See, the Christian now lives in the promises that were made and kept by God in the Hebrew Scriptures. Thus, in their mind, the Gentile Christians are not starting at the start. They're starting in the middle. And they're, they're, these Hebrew Christians, they wonder, I wonder if this salvation is really true, if it's really right. They're coming to say, don't start in the middle, rather start in the beginning and, and go through the process of becoming Jews first, and then you, you can become Christians. 
And they're saying that, I don't believe because they're mean or nasty. I think they're saying that because they don't have a category of thought for a Christian who is not a Jew first. After all, Jesus was Jewish. But Paul understands that what these people are teaching, this approach, threatens the very essence of the message of salvation by grace through faith. And as this was happening, I think something else was happening as well. And that is that Paul begins to hear rumors from the area that he just got back from, which we call Galatia, that area of southern Turkey, and he hears the rumors that this same approach is being communicated there to the people that he had brought to Christ uh, uh, by, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The churches in Galatia are also being influenced by this teaching. Christians needed to be, obey the laws of the Jews, and then they can become Christians. So there's no straight line in that teaching from uh, a non-believer Gentile into the love of Jesus Christ. You've got to be a Jew first. And Paul, understanding that that teaching is happening there as well, he writes a letter to those churches that we now have in our Bible called Galatians to counter that idea. But soon, by A.D. 50, the issue becomes so divisive and so obviously a, 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 a conflict in the church that it needs to be addressed in some sort of formalized way. And so in Acts chapter 15, what we see is the very first council of the church uh, uh, called together to deal with this issue. So let's read, read verses 2 and then verse 6. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and elders about this question. Verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider the question. They met together to address a conflict because this was a conflict. And today I want to use the principles of what we see in their process to show how we should address those issues where there is dispute and conflict. And the first one is this. We need to recognize the reality that conflict happens. It's just a fact of life. And when conflict happens and we're going to address it, we need to make sure it is worth it. Some people, you see, it seems, always want to tussle and fight. They always want to kind of have their way, have their say, maybe over even little things, but sometimes it's simply not worth it. We do much more damage than good. Because whenever people are together, there's a chance for conflict. We're all fallen people. Even Christian people, even people with good intentions, even people who are trying to do right, we will disagree from time to time. But you have to, as you approach it, Ask the question, is it worth it? Is this an issue that is actually worth conflict? Now, in this situation, the Christians with the Jewish background were concerned, genuinely, I believe, about the salvation of these Gentile Christians. But there was more to it than that. They were getting nervous that the atmosphere of the church was changing and maybe changing too rapidly for their tastes. It didn't feel like their church anymore when they visited the church at Antioch. It was losing its distinctive Jewishness that characterized the body of believers up until now. It was a cultural thing, and culture is a powerful thing, and sometimes cultures clash. 
Many of you will remember the 1970s sitcom Laverne and Shirley. I'm told that when Laverne and Shirley was first aired in Thailand, the, the people in that culture had no category for what they were seeing on the screen, the way these women were acting. And so the, the, the um, broadcast station that put that station out, they used to run a little, a little script on the bottom of the screen in the opening credits, and it said, these women are from an insane asylum. It's the only way they could categorize the behavior that they saw in the opening scenes of Laverne and Shirley. This was a culture clash, right? And here, too, we have clashing cultures, Hebrew Christians from Hebrew background and Gentile Christians. The atmosphere of the entire movement is starting to change. It's losing its Jewishness, and that was a concern for them. But there's another concern. And that is the concern over the moral standards of behavior that the church will stand for. You see, the pagans, the Gentiles, were being converted, but they did not have any of the Old Testament background. They didn't have any of the moral teaching. They didn't come into the fellowship with the same assumptions uh, as regarding what was acceptable behavior and not acceptable behavior. That was a concern. And I want you to see that all these concerns are accurate. Yes, the Jewishness of the movement was starting to be diminished. Ultimately, that was a good thing, but it was a change that they weren't comfortable with. And yes, pagans being saved coming into the fellowship without a knowledge of the Scriptures. They do carry a lot of moral baggage, a whole new set of issues that needed to be addressed. But the solution that they were coming up with was that first you have to submit to the Jewish law and then you can be completed in Jesus Christ was unacceptable. To the Apostle Paul, those were fighting words. For every person is saved by the grace of God alone, through personal faith alone, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Later on in his ministry, Paul will write to the Christians in Rome, and he writes this in 10.13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no intermediate step. As we surrender to the gospel message of Jesus, He will save us. There's nothing more you need to do other than believe. And so the battle lines of this conflict are drawn. Both sides, I want you to see, understood that this is something that was worth it, really important to both, from both points of view. And so a council was convened uh, to get to an answer. Not always, though, do we have important issues being that which causes conflict. People fight over silly things, over silly, th silly things in families and silly things in churches. The church is, you know, over the color of the carpet or the time of the service or the style of the music or whatever it is. We lose a sense of priority all too easily. Before we enter into some sort of process of conflict, we need to ask ourselves this issue. Am I sure that this is an issue of vital importance? And if that answer to that is yes, the second question is, am I sure, based on an honest assessment of Scripture, that I have the right point of view? If we would ask ourselves those two questions, very often our conflicts would dissipate and disappear. But in Paul's case and in the Judaizers' case, the issue was vital. 
It was how do people come to know Jesus? And Paul is absolutely sure that he's right. When he wrote that letter to the Galatian Christians about this very issue, he says this in, in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The point is that uh, in any conflict, as you identify the issue, it, if, as you see that it's vitally important, it needs to be faced head on. But there's a second principle here for hand, handling conflict. Principle number two is agree on a process. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. When you engage in a process of conflict resolution, what you're saying in so doing is, I value unity. I value understanding. I value coming together about this and finding a way forward so that we can work in fellowship. A process is important. I've seen conflict with the lack of a process. When it kind of res uh, revolves down to the who can yell the loudest or who can gossip the longest, it should never be like that. By going to the elders and the apostles in, in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch was saying, we will work within the system under the authority to work together to come to a solution. And that's just what they did. And Acts chapter 15 shows us that, that council. And as you look at the details of the working of the council here in Acts 15, we see some lessons learned about how we need to approach times of disagreement. And the first lesson is this. We need to face the issues head-on, honestly, under God-given lines of authority. We see that here. Look at verses 6, 7, and 9. Verse 6 says this. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Down to verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Peter gets the issue immediately on the table. He faces the issue head on. This is what God has done through me. He's presented the gospel message to Gentiles and has not treated them any different than he treated us from a Hebrew background. He needed to get that on the table right away. And he needed to face it head on. Because when you don't do that, issues that are even vitally important tend to fester. And very soon, things go sideways. Imagine for a moment if the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul didn't care enough to address this issue. Imagine if they didn't want to get involved. Imagine if they said, no, well, well, we'll just let it go. We'll, hopefully, it'll go away on its own. If that teaching spread, and that was the primary teaching of the church in the first century, that you needed to become a circumcised Jew in order to be saved, not only will that have hurt the spread of the gospel message, it will be perverting the message of Jesus Christ. Peter and Paul had to face it head on and to state the issue. This is why we're meeting. This is what happened. This is why we're here. That leads us to lesson number two. When you go through a process of conflict resolution, 
understand that you're not going to make everyone happy. So make God happy. That's the point here. Some people will never agree. Some people will never get on board. There are going to be those who don't want to submit to God-given authority and don't want to submit even to God. From a point of pride, they just see their opinion and that's all they care about. So it's going to be my way or the highway. And that is evident in this controversy here in the Scriptures. You see, let me cut to the end of the story. Grace wins. The message of grace wins the day. It is victorious. But this problem doesn't go away. Even though you thought it would be over and sealed and done, it doesn't go away. There are those who continue all through Paul's ministry to teach what we now call the Judaizer teaching, which meant you need to become a Jew first and then become a Christian. That was part of what Paul had to struggle against for the rest of his ministry from a small camp of people who didn't accept the verdict of this council. I read that and I think to myself, man, if the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is the head of the Jerusalem church, if they can't get people all on board at the same time on a decision, 100%, what makes me think that I can? I can't. We can't please everyone, but make sure you're pleasing God. Stephen Brown writes this. He says, one of the hardest lessons I ever learned as a pastor was that I can't please anyone, everyone. I want to. I desire to. I want to make everyone love me. I want to be popular and well-liked. The problem is that I simply can't do that with everyone, and until I understand it, I'll never be effective with anyone. It's of vital importance that if the conflict is, is worthy, if the issue is vital and important, it's worth bringing a resolution to. And when you bring a resolution to it, recognize not everyone will accept it. And that means evaluate the battle. Make sure you're fighting that which is of supreme importance. It means don't get sucked into everybody's pet peeve. Don't get pulled into everyone's bandwagon argument, whether it's at work or school, in a neighborhood, whatever it is. Understand that I'm only going to be involved in that which is worthy, but when I'm involved, I seek to make God happy above all things. Thirdly, a lesson learned here is keep the big picture in view. Go down to verse 19. I mentioned James, the half-brother of Jesus, a moment ago. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church, and in a sense, he has the last word. After the arguments are made and the discussion is had, he stands up and he speaks, and in verse 19, this is what he says. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's the big picture. That's the issue. Gentiles turning to God. We're here so that we can bring people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, these people are going to hell. Let's not make it tough to, for people to say yes to that. James is saying, let's not get so caught up in how we do things that we miss why we're doing them. Keep clear the issue of purpose. We are about bringing people to Jesus, which means bringing down the barriers between them and the Lord, not creating higher barriers. 
It's not about the way that we want things done. It's about what God is doing and the way that he's working, even if we would prefer it to be different. Go up to verse 12. That makes the point there. It says, The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. That was the issue. This is what God was doing. And we need to be part of what God is doing. James makes that point, kind of puts a bow on the entire argument. And then, in a moment of brilliance, he refers, as you read the details of the chapter, back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 45. And he says, you know, this is what God was always telling us all along the way, that this message of hope in the gospel is for all people, not just Jews. But there's a fourth lesson here. We walk away from the council and we see grace wins. Salvation by grace through faith. That's victorious and that's the message very clear from now on in the New Testament presentation of the gospel. But the last lesson is this. When we go through a time of conflict resolution, when we air our views and there's a a, a spirit of coming together with a decision, you have to call it done. Decide to call it done. Go over to the last few verses of this section of the chapter telling this story. Verse 30 says this, The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter, the letter the council had written. And the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. They closed the book on this dispute. They put that in the past, at least those who were willing, and that's the example we're meant to follow, and they allowed the wound that had been created between the, the fellowship of the, of the saints there, they allowed that wound to heal. It's vitally important that we do that. Because when we don't do that, infection sets in. An infection of evil. And I use that term deliberately. Because I'm remembering the story of the, uh, the death of President James Garfield. You might remember President James Garfield, in 1880, he was shot, an assassination attempt. The, the, the um, bullet was not fatal. The shooting was not fatal. And the doctors quickly took him uh, to his home. They treated him, but they couldn't find the bullet. The first doctor on the scene, this is, remember this is 1880, went in with his finger into the wound to try to extract the bullet, but he couldn't locate it. And so they tried to just to keep the, the president comfortable. And over the next couple of months, doctor after doctor came into James Garfield to treat him, each one of them trying to remove that bullet. How? By reaching their finger into that wound. And eventually, Garfield died. He didn't die from the gunshot wound. He died from the infection that was set in by all those fingers probing that wound. And it's a picture of what happens when you and I refuse to call things done, when we refuse to put conflict in the past and move on. The wound stays open and infection sets in. And Satan wins the day when that happens. So who are you at odds with today? What are the issues right now that are riling you up and causing you maybe to get into a tussle with another believer or a family member or a friend? Ask yourself this question. Is this issue supremely worth it? Are you sure 100% based on the teaching of Scripture that you're correct? 
If not, seek peace. If so, submit to a process under authority and in the outcome live in unity. That's what we're called to do because the clash of colliding mindsets will stifle the work of the gospel message if we allow it. But when we work in unity in our ministries together, with our families, in our friendships, we hear the message that we started with in the beginning, the good example of that church. We are here to help one another, here to help each other, to help us glorify God. That's our mission. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have called us to unity. We recognize that there are times when we will see things differently, when we might be on different pages. But Lord, we pray that through your grace and your mercy, you allow us to work through those times so that fellowship and love can win out. Because it is the love of Jesus that we are meant to radiate to those around us. Lord, we are free from the baggage of the past as we come to you. We are free from some of the old attitudes and the old ways. We are free to live a life that glorifies our Lord and Savior. So, Lord, we pray that we're able to do just that. May the difference in our approach to these simple things like disagreements be so obvious that it's Jesus in us that gets the credit. We rejoice in that. In your name we pray. Amen. The team is coming to lead us in a closing song, so let's worship the Lord together. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone and I'm no longer
a child of God one more time. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Amen. If you're in the courtyard and you aren't standing, would you go ahead and stand for the benediction and let us pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are through you, children of God, and you have given us a mission on this earth to represent you, and you've given us a character that is not that of fear, but of holy boldness. So help us to do just that this next week. Bless us as we seek to serve you. And as we go our separate ways, watch over us in grace and protection, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning.